You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity Director of Client Strategy Ben Alberts speaks with Stephen Bailey, CMO at John Fluvog Shoes. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and share your first insight? Yeah, I think it maybe, you know, as a benefit to the to the listener, just a, a couple of words about John Flubog Shoes and where I'm kind of coming from. I've been here for 19 years, so a lot of my insights have come during my time here. So John Flubog Shoes is a 53-year-old company. We are smaller, medium-sized retail and design shoe business for a mouthful. We have 24 stores around the world. Most of them are in Canada and the U.S. They're company-run stores. Uh, there's no franchising there. And kind of in a, in a nutshell, you know, we make uh, unique soles for unique soles is the best way that we know how to put it. We have big variety of customer types and a big variety of weird shoes. In terms of uh, getting right into it, the ask was, you know, what's the key marketing insight? I think over the years, I've just more and more realized the value of communities in business. And, you know, we can talk big W if we want. Or like, you know, the, the, the world is a big place and being a part of communities overall, like whether it's your coworkers or your families or your pastimes or even, you know, sports teams, things like that, that we all enjoy on a, on a, on a personal basis. But then also from a, from a business perspective, you know, here at Fluvog, we just, we have helped facilitate and then being able to sit by and watch these beautiful communities build up and, in the most touching moments, they support each other and uh, go above and beyond to communicate and build friendships. And, you know, we've had many flu hoggers who get married. In fact, John even married a couple of them at, a, at Flumunity Fest in Portland in 2019. This is a festival we do every year. So there's all these kind of romantic qualities. But by the same token, you also just get so much insight into what your product means to people, what it's missing, what it needs more of. And um, that level of feedback is is invaluable, I think. And not to mention, you know, there's, there's the obvious ones that you get from, from, from kind of that, that feedback, which is, you know, we need more red shoes or this heel is too high for me. We need something shorter. There's that stuff. But then there's, there's all of these beautiful little takeaways that, you know, that you just never even knew to ask the question that kind of come out of left field from someone who traveled from New Zealand to be at the last community fest and, and, uh, and meet up with friends that they've only ever really met with on social media. This is uh, one of those examples, like uh, John marrying marrying someone. Uh, it's when uh, coworkers become family, literally. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before the mics turned hot, we were talking a little bit about the concept of building responsible communities. Wonder if you can dive on that a little bit. I guess I just thought that you know, it's it's kind of running a business is one thing, and it's not as though there's a formula that works for everybody. I my brain goes to like youth sports teams and the fans around the side of the field or the rink, right? You've got parents and coaches and they come in all varieties of priority, let's say. So, you know, if, if uh, Timmy, nobody's named Timmy anymore, that's under, I don't know, 32. But anyway, you know, if, if Timmy's not skating fast enough, there's 27 different reactions that you can have as a parent on the sideline or a coach that reacts to that. And so in the same way, you know, in business, there are different ways that you can approach business and, and, and um, kind of focus on what's important to you. I think for us at Fluvod, so that I can really only speak to the way that we run a business here. And so the responsibility to the customer base or 
who we call flu vloggers is kind of first and foremost to us. So we really, you talked about a responsible community. Like we really try to not go into these things without being confident that we can behave accordingly and provide what needs to be provided to, to make it a safe place, but also to give value in, in all of the different interactions. I mean, I think of some of the things that have come up here lend themselves to community that really, you know, almost didn't even have that priority in the, in the first place. Like 15 years ago, we started something called the flu market, which was really out of kind of recognizing the responsibility we had to people who had too many pairs of flu vogs. And I mean, you know, there, there's one of those examples of like, how does this company run itself? How does this company run itself? Not every company would feel burdened or responsible for the number of pairs of, or the number of items that they've sold to this one person. But knowing that there's some people with too many pairs of flu vogs and helping them set them free, I think we were I've yet to learn different, but as far as I know, we were the first shoe company to ever have any kind of resale platform. And it was, I say 15, but I've been here 19 years. So maybe it was 17 years ago. I don't know. But it was, it was a very simple kind of like forum listing site where you put up your photograph, you sold the shoes. We didn't take any money. We just kind of allowed this, this community to build here. And, you know, we sell thousands and thousands of pairs of used flu bogs every year and we don't take a take a penny from it. And what that does is it actually creates this other connection for flu vloggers to meet other flu vloggers who have, you know, incidentally the same sized foot. But also it it promotes that idea that these shoes are approachable, even if if the price point is aspirational, which it is for some people. The brand should be approachable and not aspirational. And this gives a chance for other flu vloggers or would-be flu vloggers to get a part of, to, to join up. And it also showcases the longevity of the shoes. And so, you know, there's a community that we built that was built out of a, a sense of responsibility from our side, but the, but the takeaway or the end result was just this magic that then lends itself to, to people joining other online flu focused communities. And of course, you know, down, down the road, after you plant these seeds, you're really hopeful that this actually helps keep your business in business because obviously that's, that has to happen before you can even think to kind of build these things. Sorry, that was all over the map, but there's just so many examples of these that I, you know, over the years, I start to realize these are not all that common in the industry that we work in, nor in other industries, maybe. And, and for us, it's kind of what we've, what has, has really helped us grow over the years. You know, 19 plus years, uh, you've been at Fluvog, uh, and you've uh, certainly experimented with different ways of building communities. And I love this idea of the circular market that allows your customers to connect with one another over, over shared interest. What's some advice that you would give to, you know, newer brands, maybe in a similar space, maybe in a different space, some initiatives that they could take on to, to build their communities? I've been involved with some, some younger brands and some startups as well. And I mean, jokes aside, deep pockets would be great because as we move forward, you know, trust, trust is going to be harder and harder to come by and more and more valuable. And it's easy for me to sit here at a 53-year-old company with decades of goodwill and a focus on community and, and love and, and design and art to say that, that communities and, and those relationships are important, where if you're starting and you don't have those communities or those relationships, that's tough. So I say big, deep pockets really just because, I mean, if you start these things, they do take a while to produce. And so there's probably this kind of perfect wiggle room between building trust while you're also paying for attention because you, 
you know, you need eyeballs, you need people to know about you before they can actually decide whether or not they're joining up with you. And also, you know, even, even your question, it really depends on which of those 27 different types of businesses people are running. Like there's some very successful businesses that launch on social with an incredibly viral video that's selling phone cables and they sell a ton of phone cables and then they move on. And, you know, that's, that is paying for attention and using content to their benefit. And, you know, as long as those cables are great, then they're also building trust. If they're not, I know there's companies out there that continue to be able to do that, even if their product isn't that good. So it really depends on what kind of company. But, but I would say, you know, being, if you're in it for the long haul, you do need deep pockets and it's never too soon to start those kinds of communities. One thing I've also learned is when starting, even starting your own Shopify business, we're at a stage now where if you're, if you're making coasters, it's probably not enough. Like what else, what else do these coasters do? Like what else do these coasters stand for? What do you stand for? And that's, it's asking a lot. Like entrepreneurs are, there's a lot of demands on them if they're not purely playing a price and value game. And a price and value game is a very tricky spot to start up in for sure. One thing you mentioned here is new brands are able to, to launch quite quickly and send their message across socials and ramp up in an extremely you know, quick manner. Your organization has been around for 53 years, long before social has even been a thing. How have you over the years layered social into your, into your marketing efforts? Yeah, I mean, it's a little embarrassing, but you know, when we first started, I mean, I can remember all those moments, like sitting in a coffee shop and saying to this guy who was talking to me about Twitter being like, what on earth are we ever going to talk about? Like, look at this shoe we worked on today. And then we were both like, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I guess that's maybe interesting. Okay. So then, you know, and, and those things, I mean, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's, I feel partly pretty blessed to have seen the buildup of these things because you can like, it's amazing to be at the origin of something, right? So how have we moved that into our marketing? Yeah. I mean, you know, I never thought I was here when I never thought that I would see digital spend go over print spend, you know, or traditional spend. And good Lord, was I ever proven wrong about that. And um, so it's, it's kind of fun to see that stuff. I think it's also fun as long as you know, we, we just, and I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but we've worked with George Clinton for an, a number of projects and he was just at Fluminity Fest in Toronto. And he just said something that was awesome about how he's 86 years old, you know, the, the founder of Funk, and he forces himself to find value in types of music that he, that he at first listen can't stand. Because he's like, if you start turning those things away, you're basically dead in the water now. Like you have got to find a way to appreciate them. And, and I, I think about this with marketing as well. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to jump into NFTs, right? Like, you, you don't have to start producing NFTs to partner every single shoe that you sell, but you have to learn about it and, and, and understand why it's on every magazine cover for a year and a half and then disappears. Like, you can't, you know, NFTs, no slant against them at all, but, you know, that wasn't for us. But it might have been, and it might have gone a different way, and then we might have missed it, you know. But we didn't because we focused on it and concentrated on it instead of just shoving it off the table. Sorry, that was not even answering your question. I don't know. We just did more of it for social. I mean, you know, like content became more and more important, of course. And now our content team is is like just busy all the time and just producing unbelievable things. Yeah. What's the, you know one to two you know marketing strategies that you would like to layer in? 
that you haven't yet gotten a chance to do? Well, I mean, they're not that exciting. I think I'll start with the least exciting. I, I still really believe in outdoor, but unfortunately, we just, we just don't have the budgets to do the level that I would like to do. I, I think of some brands that are having great fun. And it's funny, you know, we talk about responsibility. And again, I go back to those 27 and there aren't 27. I just made that number up. But it's like, what's your focus? And for us, yes, we sell shoes. Yes, we try to be you know, very, very welcoming as a brand. And yes, we try to do weird shoes and like help people kind of announce who they are based on, on some sort of colorful, squiggly polka dot highlight piece that they, they wouldn't normally wear. And so when I talk about outdoor, it's not about wanting to catch more eyeballs to sell more chairs because they're the best chairs, nothing against that. I think about outdoor about like really kind of trying to uh, what's we need a, a word for disrupt, but really to try and you know jar people with something a little bit self-deprecating and funny out there. And I just wish I just wish we had a bigger budget to really like promote the brand out there and everything the brand stands for. So that's that's the boring one. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. Another one too would be, you know, we talk about loyalty program. We've been talking about this for, for sure 15 years. And I know there's tons of out-of-the-box options there. We have never worked out of the box, really, like in that kind of sense, from all of the platforms we work. We work with a number of household names in the, in, in the marketing world, for sure, but a lot of our stuff is custom built. And um, it's a delicate, especially for an established brand with so many loyalists, it's a, it's a delicate thing to, to go into. We've had lots of ideas, but the rollout when you want to create your own loyalty program that isn't just you know points per dollar kind of thing it gets very complicated. And going back to the idea of being responsible, I just think, man, I, I don't know, as if there isn't something with so much weight that when you launch something like a loyalty program, good Lord, you've got to get it right. You know, you can't, I mean, I, I, I've never read any case studies about people who didn't, but it must be a nightmare of like, hey, we did this thing. And then five years later, you got, you know, 20% of people are like, are like hoarding these points and getting ready to spend them. And 20% of the people are using them in a way that's, that has bad ROI for the company. And, you know, you want to close it down, but good luck with that. So it's, it's a daunting thing. But anyway, those are the two that kind of come to mind. It takes a lot of uh, careful planning to ensure that when you launch a program like that, you launch it right the first time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you'd have so, there'd be so many told you so's like on a personal level, you'd have to really like, you'd be like Frogger. You'd, you'd have to be bouncing around trying to check all these boxes and getting buy-in from everyone in the company. And, and at the end of the day, there'd still be fallouts that, that you wouldn't have seen coming. Yeah, that's pretty daunting. I'm curious, uh, again, being, being a vet for, at the same organization for as long as you have been, how do you keep being creative or finding new solutions for issues that arise? Yeah, I think I try to, uh, like trying to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. I mean, this is not that unrelated to the fact that you know, you learn more when you fail. And I'm not suggesting that, that you try things and fail at them. I mean, a much, much less consequential situation is, is like going to that, 
that friend's office party that has that has an open invitation for other people, like even if you aren't even interested in the hospitality industry, you know, actually, you know, that that the uh, unreasonable hospitality book that was featured in Bear as well, a great friend of mine sent me that maybe a year ago. And, you know, we're not in hospitality per se, but there's so much garnered from that. I think the idea of exposing yourself as a as a marketer to other areas, whether there are other industries or other groups of people that you're not that familiar with, I just feel like, you know, if you just keep talking to marketers or reading marketing blogs and focusing on that stuff, you're just going to keep thinking about like, so how how is an influencer campaign going to work for us? And those are really important questions. How's a loyalty program going to work for us? Really important questions. But what what I think you can get from going to a to like a car dealership is like learning about how they treat their staff on the wall with employee of the month or something like that. And it's like, there'll be a little write-up in their brochure about what they did with this local theater company. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. What we should do is actually have screenings in our bigger stores of up-and-coming like art films that people need a venue to showcase them. And then we'll get 50 people. I mean, this is just we don't do this, but I mean, we should now, but you know, you get 50 people who are friends of the director for this small film, you put them in there, they're in the store, they're watching the thing. And now they know where Fluvog is, right? And now they know what we sell. And that didn't come except you did go to that film opening. And that one guy was talking to you about the fact that they don't have enough venues for these things. And do you have any ideas? Like not to drag it on, but there was years ago, I was thinking about the one of the issues that we have at Fluvog is the shoes are often so weird. They're really hard for people to get around to trying on, you know, and they also, they don't immediately look like they're super comfortable and they are, they, they fit so well. It's one of our top priorities. And so how do we get more people to try them on? Well, I was thinking about, and this is a long time ago, but about test driving a car. And I was like racking my brain about how to give people the shoes so they can just walk down the street for a day and then come back. And honestly, like 15 years ago, that might've been more, more possible. Now so much stuff happens online. It's not quite possible, but we have since then run this thing every March where you enter to win 10 years of free shoes by just coming on and coming in and trying on a pair. And so that, that came from the auto industry of test driving. So yes, you can't, you can't, you can't wear them home and try them out. You can't walk down the street, but you can be incentivized to come in and try them on. And I tell you, I mean, at different trade shows and things like that, I'm blown away by how many people put on Fluvogs and are like, oh, these are super comfortable. And the way they say it is like, you did not expect that. You know, you expected these kind of geometrical designs and these shapes and these mixtures of textures not to fit properly, but they do. So anyway, exposing yourself to other other industries and, and other articles about things that are unrelated to your field for me, has been so incredible. I find this super interesting. You mentioned hospitality. You talked about automotive as well. I'm curious what other outside industries that you've leaned on most in your time. Oh, man. Well, I don't know if these are direct correlations, but we have something internally here called Fluvog Reads, where two or three times a year, we pick a theme. Often it's around something that's happening during the year, whether it's Pride or Women's uh, International Women's Day. And we have some suggestions that are brought up and some lists from other other organizations about the best books to read during, you know, Truth and Reconciliation Day or any of these things. And then we put that out to our staff in every store and each individual gets to choose a book that we that they would like to read about that idea. So to answer your question, academia. So like there's an area of like, you know, a place where 
depending on the kind of school you went to, all those textbooks and all those things were provided for you or they were given to you. And then it just seemed like there'd be this natural fit where where we could let people pick their... But the last one we did was Global Music Day or something like that. And it happened to be October, which I think was Book Lovers Day. So it was like anything about music, anything you want at all. And I would say 70 to 75% of our staff put in the name of the book that they want, the author, and then the book shows up to their store before that actual day. And then you know, the, the stores are encouraged and, and the head office too are encouraged to have this library where people can share books and trade books. And, you know, even if only 30% of those people read those books, there's something that like, one, they got to choose it. It wasn't dictated to them. So they get to like, if they really love Britney Spears, they can choose the Britney Spears book. If they really love uh, Rick Rubin, they can pick the new Rick Rubin book. Or, you know, a lot of people pick the Jimi Hendrix and George Clinton book because of the work that we've done with those guys before in the past. And, I mean, the benefits of that are great and it, it's not that expensive. And it's, it's kind of like, I, I mean, they've got to come up with a different term than soft, but you know, that idea in politics of soft power and in business, I guess it's soft business. I'm not sure, but it's this kind of underlying kind of cultural energy. And, you know, I can, I can hear eyes rolling from listeners because it's, it's, it's kind of arbitrary, those, those terms, but you know, they lend themselves to the, to the greater energy of the company and the, the satisfaction of the employees. So I mean, I, I'm guessing, or at least that's been the feedback that I have. I, I don't have, I, I'm sorry, I don't have others, but I guess even just reading, you know, general publications, like, I, and I'm not good at this either. I mean, I need to work harder at it as well, but like, like flipping through a magazine that is a general interest magazine and then seeing an article about this guy in Italy who fixes carburetors. Damn it. I went straight back to cars again. I'm not even a car guy, but like, you know, like a, a new, a new soda company, right. And like how they're starting up. And sitting back for a second and being like, you know what? You don't even know what's going to come out of this. Let's just, it's just one page. Let's read this little, little bio on this guy who left a big soda company and went to a little soda company, why they did it, what they focused on, and maybe there's something there. And actually, you know, you mentioned this before about startups. It reminds me of humble potato chips. Like in terms of having something that can help you stand out, right? There's a potato chip that's a potato chip and it's, it checks the box in terms of you know, a Lay's style, crispy, easy to eat. I am not sure any of the terms. I mean, I'm not in that industry, right? But also they're one of the few packages on that entire aisle that has a 100% biodegradable bag. That's something they can get behind. That's something a communi- community can be built around, right? So that when you're choosing between this potato chip and this potato chip, and I think I mentioned Lay's, like if you're picking between two barbecue potato chips and they and you like both of them, you're going to pick the one that you know, if it's important to you, you're going to pick the one that actually has a lower impact on the environment. It sounds to me like you mentioned this earlier as well, this concept of building your community around what your brand stands for. Yeah. I I mean, I wonder even at Fluvog is if we even picked that before the community picked us. You know, I think in some cases, I think that it's really hard to do. I'm just looking around here. I mean, it's, I said coasters because there's a coaster here, but it's really hard to do maybe if you're a a TV manufacturer because you've got to be, you've got to fit into into everybody's home, as many people's homes as possible. The margins are super thin, so it's going to be really hard to do that. But I think if you start off in a weird way, then the community may find its way to you versus you having to dictate who your community is. And, you know, actually, I don't know why I think of this probably because of the shape of this, but it reminds me of Lightphone, those guys who started that phone company that really wanted to limit the amount of apps and distractions on your phone. I have no idea how their business is going. I don't own one, 
but I follow them because thank God somebody is thinking about like reducing the amount of distraction that's going into our brains and, and especially our kids' brains. And there's, there's a company, you know, like community can't solve everything. If they don't sell any phones, they're in trouble, but it can certainly help get the word out there without you having to spend a fortune on, on digital ads that, you know, only have so much, so much to give if you're selling a regular phone or a regular TV. Yeah. Last one for you. Do you have a future prediction for, for 2024 in the wild world of marketing? Yeah. Like I mentioned before, I do think trust is going to become more and more important. I actually don't know that. I mean, like none of us know, but I, I don't know how it's going to maintain its ability to stand out in an AI world that is getting more and more convincing, I guess, or honed. I would like to think that in the same way as like we often talk about the, the, the loss of our attention span, but we also have maybe had an ability to be able to juggle more things more frequently, more frequently. And also probably we have a higher level of productivity. I'm not sure. I haven't done the reading, but I, my guess is it definitely feels like we're doing way more projects than we were when I first started here. That's for sure. And like even hour long phone calls with suppliers and, uh, ad reps and stuff used to be the way of business and offices. And I can't remember the last time I've had a 15 minute phone call, you know, like, a, like without video. So, you know, there is a chance that, that we have this ability that we don't know of to be able to decipher between true, between truth and fiction better and better. Like we're in this stage where it's really hard to tell, but over the years, we may just get better and better at being able to, uh, see what's real and what's not and have a more have a sharper more attuned gut on on whether or not we trust somebody or not i mean that'll just be this kind of constant battle you know people get better and better at appearing to be trustworthy but there will still be trustworthy people i mean think of how long ago ebay started and nobody really thought that that would work and you know i for one have used tons of i've got two two boys who grow out of their stuff faster than they can wear them so i've sold stuff on marketplace and i've had 100% satisfaction level with that, you know, much like the flu market, right? That was years ago. And people talked about whether or not that would be trust, whether trust would win in that. And now we're in this state where there's way more opportunity to be taken advantage of and people still default to, I don't know, default to good and honesty. I mean, I'd like to think so. I like that as an idea. Trust will win. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. We appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks, Ben. That was so much fun. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.